Okay, so we're back on the Party Pooper podcast, and it's just me, Phil, today. I didn't even let the intro song play out all the way because I'm so excited that we have Tom Simak uh, here with us today. Tom, say hi. Mate, hello, Party Pooper world. How are we all going? <laughs> so, Tom, you've got a podcast called The Plant Paradigm, and when, yes. you, when you reached out to me, I obviously I pulled it up and started looking through all your episodes, and then I saw that you... Uh, interviewed Dr. Michael Clapper, and I was like, yeah. "Oh my God, Tom is the real deal!" Like, I was actually really intimidated at that, that, that at that point. Um, <laughs> and then I kept going down, and then I saw this vegan food of the world and food guides uh, to, you know, uh, your guide to traveling as a vegan. And I'm, and then at that point, I knew I had to talk to you. Um, so I'm really excited that you're here. Do you want to explain what your podcast is about? I love that. Yeah, thank you for the kind words. Please do not be intimidated at all. Um, look, the podcast essentially started out as the How to Travel Vegan podcast. I, you know, obviously pre-COVID traveled a whole heap and always found it a little bit difficult to, and a bit daunting to travel and, you know, be quite scared of, I don't want to end up just eating potatoes and chips and like, like, maybe a bag of nuts. Right. So I kind of started doing research through different tools like Happy Cow and reaching out to bloggers and um, through the traveling and experience myself, I started eating at a lot of different places and trying to experience the world. And then I thought, why not formulate my experiences into short three to five minute episodes where people can go and just get all the information they need while on a quick walk. Um, so that's how that kind of started. And then as COVID hit, um, I, a lot of people started reaching out to me to do interviews. Um, obviously, you know, I do opt for like a whole food plant-based diet, but veganism is a huge passion and so is climate change. So I ended up having a lot of conversations about like zero waste and, you know, much like what we're going to talk about today, which is putting your dollars in the right place. And a lot of it is got to do with sustainability um, so we can create a green and healthy future and that's when I started reaching out to different influencers and, you know, interviewing people like Dr. Michael Clapper um, and a lot of different athletes uh, from around the world, professionals and amateurs and, you know, really fostering these conversations. And really that's what the podcast is about, just how we can create a healthy us and a healthy planet. So, you know, we together with animals can live a prosperous life. So not we don't get to 2050 and all of a sudden everything's burning to the ground and that's essentially <laughs> the, the concept of the podcast is so we don't get to that that spot we fix it well before then right i definitely love uh how much positivity there is on your podcast and i think it'll be a good uh counterbalance because you know i'm the party pooper and i i tend to be the one that brings the party down with the reality and the facts and the talking about how the situation is bad and you know bringing up vegan things and then I end up being the party pooper so I'm glad that you're here and uh we can spin it both ways and um, oh, you, I think we can absolutely spin it both ways I mean you're the party pooper and you can get sucked into the whole 
uh, oh crap, you know, trillions of animals are dying. And oh my God, if we don't go to like net zero by 2050, we're going to have this 1.5 degree rise in temperature. Yeah. But at the same time, oh my God, poverty is at the lowest it's ever been. Holy it's true. crap. Yeah, the, there is the, a lot of things to be thankful for, for sure. Um, totally. I totally agree. Yeah. So I'm, anyway, I'm excited. It's going to be good. Um, so I'm not going to pick your brain about all the vegan food, but if uh, anybody's interested in that, which I'm sure you are, definitely go check out The Plant Paradigm. Um, Tom's got a ton of episodes on there that are really interesting. And you can find that, I guess, where all podcasts are found. Or do you have a website, Tom? The website is currently in the work. So okay. it's set to release one June, uh, depending on when this will pop out. It'll be from there, but otherwise everywhere else podcasts are found. Right, exactly. Cool. So um, in preparation for this episode, I started looking into how Australia is different from Canada. And there's a lot of parallels with Canada and the United States for investing. Um, so <laughs> if uh, just as a disclaimer, if I ever say RSP, uh, Americans can just substitute that with a 401k. And if I say TFSA, then Americans can substitute that with a Roth IRA. And in Australia, you guys have superannuation, yes. uh, which is actually, uh, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the nitty gritty of it. But as far, as far as I can tell, it's actually kind of a mix of both our RRSP and TFSA and Basically, RRSP is um, tax deferred, so you're going to reduce your uh, taxable income when you invest into yes. that. And then later That's awesome. on, yeah, and then uh, and then later on when you retire, you get taxed on on when you pull it out. It becomes your income. And TFSA mm -hmm. is the opposite, so it's after tax income that you then invest, and you never pay taxes on it ever. So you can just let it grow and grow. And then later when you retire, you could, at any point in your life, you can withdraw the entire amount and you pay no taxes on it. And as far as I understand, you can maybe give me the rundown, but superannuation is where you have a tax benefit where you pay a, a reduced amount of tax um, by investing in a superannuation account. And then you still pay tax on it, but it's a reduced amount. And then there's certain benefits where... Uh, because Australia is actually really interesting because you have a, a quite high corporate tax rate. And so I learned about these franc dividends where you can get a rebate where the, uh, some of that tax uh, taxed money from those dividends gets refunded back to you. And then it creates this ever-growing snowball for your retirement account. Is that kind of... I love... There's so much to touch on there. Yeah. And you've you've done really well. You're pretty well versed at the moment. You've pretty much hit the nail of the head. So... Essentially, we have this beautiful thing called frank dividends, and I'm not sure if it's unique to Australia. Um, look, we're definitely loving it. Um, of course, throughout the years, there have been a lot of scares um, with the different political parties on taking that away because if you play your cards right, you can literally negative gear your own income. So essentially, um, touching on frank dividends first, because frank dividends also plays in can play into your super right. um, if you have a self-managed super fund. But essentially what a frank dividend is in really simple terms is if you're getting a dividend, which is profits from a company, um, I'm sure most listeners are familiar with like ETFs, which are very popular uh, as dividend paying uh, stocks. So you have this uh, ETF that say pays 4%, but that profit that this company is paying they're already getting taxed 
and they're, they're paying tax to the government. So essentially when you're getting that dividend, they're saying, well, you don't need to get taxed too because that's like double handling. So you only need to get taxed once. So essentially what you can do or um, essentially what can happen is if you you don't pay tax if you earn, I think, under 18000 or something at this stage in Australia per individual. Oh, like the personal if amount? You, yeah. Yeah, personal. So if you get $18,000 a fin year in dividends, and some of those dividends are franked, it can be fully franked or partially franked. Oh, I didn't even you know that played a, into it, um, that it that your personal income for the year factored into that. That's interesting. Absolutely. So not only have you paid no tax for that financial year, but you get a tax refund at the end of the year. Mm. So you have taken money from the government, essentially, which is why they're trying to get rid of it, um, even though you paid no tax for the whole year. And that's just to avoid the double handling. So another example would be if you've got a fully franked credit, and for something to be fully franked, it has to be purely an Australian company. International companies do not, uh, you can't get any franking. So if it's US, Canada, Europe, Asia, doesn't matter, no franking. So if you receive a fully frank dividend of $1,000 into your um, statement, that would give you a franking credit of roughly $430. And if the dividend wasn't franked, you'd be taxed on $1,400 instead of just getting taxed on $1,000. Okay. So you're essentially getting like a free 400 bucks just because the company's paid tax for you. So it's this, it's nice. this beautiful thing that we can take advantage of. So uh, the obvious problem I see here is that um, would you say that that creates this effect where in Australia you end up having a huge home country bias for investing in Australian companies and then not having proper diversification, like global diversification in your portfolio? Yes and no. Um, I think it's great that we have some incentives to invest within Australian uh, companies. However, generally speaking, um, there was a study actually done by Vanguard two years ago in Australia, and they said for the best possible portfolio returns in terms of volatility and uh, overall returns in terms of percentages, they found that you should invest 50% um, within Australian companies and 50% within international waters. So yeah, you could invest 100% in Australia and get that fully franked amount. However, you're not going to get the, the capital gains that you could other that you could potentially be missing out on if you're investing in international waters. Right. So it, it's a hit or miss, I think. And I think if you played it right, I think it should be 50-50. Okay. That's a, a lot higher than I'm used to, to be honest. I What are you used to? I've, I think the... Even and this is a lot for for me. I want to be globally diversified in a true sense and not have even any home country bias because I don't plan on retiring in Canada. I want to retire abroad. Um, but I love I, that. but the um, I think the average Canadian probably has around thirty percent in in Canadian companies. Some may have more. It really depends on how they're setting up their mm. portfolio. But if like for example, Vanguard's. Uh, uh, with like their their uh, automatically uh, rebalancing ETF for Canada has a home country bias of thirty percent set up right into it already. Okay. Um, if you take like the full international diversified uh, ETF index ETF for Canada, so 
but I, I understand why for Australia, it makes sense to go 50% because, you know, the money makes sense with that frank dividend, you know, with the system that you have. Oh, for sure. I mean, it's, it, it does become extremely beneficial. I mean, we have like our own like Vanguard diversified um, fund, which I think gives a very similar amount to what you would, which is about 30% Australia. But with the frank dividends, I just yeah. feel like it's almost like <laughs> a loss of money, even though the returns are so much higher in like the US and Canada. Obviously, Australia is a much smaller nation in general population wise. Cool. So for your super funds, um, mm-hmm. I've been looking at Australian brokers. Do you guys have uh, like zero fee brokers? I, I Two names popped up in my Google search, but I don't know how, how relevant they are. There's Revolut and Stake. Are those low yeah. fee or, or yeah. zero fee? Yeah. So um, there's low, f- I think Stake is in particular to buy US, uh, to trade on the US stock exchange. I'm not, sh- not sure on their Australia ones. Generally speaking, I would say there's Superhero, which is a new one, oh. and they have zero brokerage fees on certain ETFs Okay, and a $5 flat brokerage, $5 Australian. I think it's pretty similar to Canadian $5, about $2.50 US, I think $3 US. Yeah, I think we're very similar. Um, yeah. yeah, so they'll have like a $5 flat broke on ASX. I use SelfWealth. I much prefer it. Um, they have Australia and US. They have a flat $9.50 um, fee, $9.50. I think that's pretty reasonable um and there's also a new one that is called perla um perla is built by these guys in i believe sydney and they were um part of the fire movement um if you're into investing i'm not sure if you've heard of that one Yeah, i definitely have yeah yeah so essentially they also have like if you purchase certain etfs they've got a deal which you can trade for free okay um popular managed funds but otherwise nine dollars fifty um, I think a lot of Australia is built on um, not so much day trading as much as what I'd imagine the US to be, and I'm not sure on Canada's wide, but we're definitely more ETF and LIC leading leading towards that end. So $9.50 is generally the base. So you'll find most people stick to either superhero self-wealth um, or P- Pearl is a small one, but I think self-wealth is the biggest in Australia at the moment. The reason I bring that up is because with this advent of no free, no fee brokerages, um, mm. and especially over the last year with COVID, I've just seen this huge, even in just in my personal life, but also, um, you know, I just see articles and see people talking about it now on YouTube, everywhere. It seems like all these young people are finally really getting into investing, uh, which is yep. really encouraging and makes me optimistic because before, I don't know, a couple of years ago, uh, I work with a lot of guys in their young 20s um, because I'm in the military and I'm co- we're constantly training new people and I'm constantly having to mentor and uh, uh, teach my apprentices and stuff. So I've kind of got my finger on the pulse of these young 20-year-olds with a bunch of money and you used to see them all just buy new cars all the time. And now you're seeing them yeah. get on these trading apps and be really interested. And even though they're not always making the best decisions um, and sometimes just YOLOing on GameStop, um, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, still, it's, still, it's still great that they have opened an account. They're interested. They're getting involved. And, it, you know, I, honestly, it doesn't bother me if they're going to, uh, you know, burn $100 or something learning a lesson and getting involved when they're 
20 because it just means that they got the ball rolling and that's going to pay off big time like as they move forward and then start investing uh, sensibly. And a lot of discussions have come up at work with people talking, starting talking about stuff and asking about how to invest and what they can use. And this whole no fee trading means that someone with, you know, 50 bucks or a hundred bucks can uh, get started and not have to pay nine fifty and destroy <laughs> like, otherwise you would have to save yeah. up all the time yeah. and not be able to actually put money in. So I just, I, that actually makes me really optimistic and I'm really excited that like it's happening around the world now. Like it's, it's really starting to get rolling. Well, do you guys have like um, robo investors and things like that? Like we've yeah. got two apps. Uh, I've got my little sister on it. And for someone who doesn't know how to save exactly the person who we were just talking about, who I wouldn't go to self-wealth or these other brokers unless you've got at least a K because if you're already losing you know, 1% on just the brokerage, that's going to diminish your returns over the long term. Oh, yeah. However, if if you just need to build up that habit of saving, we've got two apps, which is Raise and Spaceship. Now, I'm not a huge fan only because anytime something's free, especially with these robo things, I've looked at the management fees and they're a lot higher oh, really? than your big big net oh for sure we're talking like one sometimes half a percent to one percent higher in terms of management fees wait so wait, um, wait what's the total management fee oh so some of these can be like 1.5 percent is that but is that just for the the robo company or is that including the fees including the, the etf okay all right understood um and it, it usually doesn't provide as much flexibility so say i think with spaceship um if i got my memory right there's environmental high growth and uh, i think medium and that's three categories you can invest in and they have their own pool of etfs so it's not as flexible as hey i want to look at this particular etf you can only buy into the categories that they have right um which again amazing for someone who doesn't know how to say but um yeah do you guys have robo investors over there yeah, and I, to- I totally agree with what you're saying. You don't want just someone that doesn't have, uh, you know, the education or hasn't or doesn't want to uh, do all the reading and educate themselves uh, just randomly going out there and buying stocks and mutual funds. So that's definitely something I recommend to my mom. And we do have a really strong company in Canada called Wealth Wealth Simple, and they started off as a robo advisor charging 0.5 percent, and then after 100k. Uh, it goes down to 0.4%, but they've really That's tried good, to, actually. yeah. And then you, you, you know, they have a, an ESG option, so you can do an environmental social governance option. Um, and it used to not be that strong, but I'll come back to this, but they actually have a really great fund now. Um, but they try to keep the individual ETFs in the portfolios that they use as low as possible. So even though it's 0.5% base just to the robo-advisor, um, the MERs, uh, management fees above and beyond that aren't really that much higher. So total, you're looking at about, you know, 08 to 1%-ish uh, for them. So it's pretty good. And it's definitely way lower than the traditional mutual fund model. Uh, anybody that's paying, you know, 2% or I would even say nowadays, yeah, 1.5% and up is basically highway robbery. Yeah, seriously, especially with the insane amount of options uh, elsewhere. 
Oh, and uh, sorry, uh, Wealthsimple actually created um, a no-fee brokerage as well. So now they have a thing called Wealthsimple Trade, which is what I use. And you can buy and sell ETFs and stocks on the main Canadian and U.S. exchanges for zero fee. So, you know, if I have I mean, uh, if I have 50 cents in my account and I just want to buy a stock, I can do it. And it doesn't cost anything. It's kind of silly, but I totally can. And I have. So, I'm curious as to your mindset on no fees because um you know i think more and more nowadays i'm on the mentality that if it's free they've got to make money somehow and if yeah you don't charge for the product you're the product so have you found like you know what happened with GameSpot and what's that trading app in the u.s how they blocked it it's uh robin hood so robin hood what what happened with robin hood wasn't that robin hood blocked it because they wanted to stop people trading what ended up happening is they didn't have the funds. Yeah, they didn't have the funds. It was such a right. surge. And because of the way that the banking regulations work, they had to have a certain amount in capital in order to cover all those trades. And then so they had to shut it down because it, it basically broke their brokerage. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so it's not that they intentionally uh, wanted to or not. But uh, Wealthsimple actually does have some fees. So um, in the Wealthsimple trade, you can only hold Canadian dollars in that account right now. So if you want to buy, uh, if you want to buy securities in U.S. dollars, uh, you actually have to. It converts it to U.S. dollars, and you get charged one point five percent to buy that, and then you would get charged one point five percent to sell it, and then get it converted back to Canadian dollars. So if you're trading frequently, that can add up to a lot. That's three percent to do uh, a back and forth, and it's three. Per- and the one point five percent coming back is on. Uh, the original amount plus your gains, hopefully. Uh, so it's not great for if you're going to be doing high volume trades. So they do make money that way. Do you have stocks in the U.S. market that pay dividends uh, as not, a Canadian? I, I mean, we do. Um, I don't really hold much of much of that. I have most of my uh, investments in equities that are just growth stocks. And mm-hmm. um, actually, this comes around full circle because, well, simple, what they did, like I said, they didn't have a really great ESG fund before. And it's actually pretty hard to find a good ESG fund, specifically if you're vegan, because there's a lot of environmental ESG ETFs or index ETFs that yeah, try to cut out like oil and uh, carbon emitters and stuff. But then they have a bunch of other problematic companies that don't really jive with a vegan philosophy. So um, that can be really difficult. And um, it's really like BlackRock has ESG funds, um, but they're not great, um, but they're better than most. And well, Simple actually came out with their own ETFs. So they had their robo-advisor ESG option that they were kind of cobbling together with other funds. And then they kind of listened to the feedback and realized Hey, these this isn't really good enough. Like we're putting an ESG label on this, but it kind of sucks. So they created their own they created their own ETF. They created two of them. One of them is just for North America, and the other one's um, an international developed. So the problem there is I have most of my funds in those two. So I get my North American coverage and then developed international um, X North America, but then it doesn't cover emerging markets. So then for that, I use BlackRock's ESG aware, which is their way of saying like ESG light, like it's kind of ESG, but it's not, we can't really 
hundred percent say that it's like the best, uh, ESG aware, uh, uh, emerging markets fund. So I kind of just between those three, I've kind of got my international basis covered and it doesn't have much of a Canadian home country bias. So then if you're trying to look at ESG funds, you start realizing that as a vegan, there isn't really a vegan fund. And um, I'm going to stop you right there. Oh, except for vegan, right? V-E-G-N. Except for, yeah, I was just about to bring that up. I'm like, have you seen this vegan fund that this, I think it was this lady from like Florida or something thought, oh, there's no vegan fund. Right. I'm just going to make one. I haven't looked at their returns or their fees, but um, yay for a first. I believe I did look them up. Um, the problem with super niche funds like that is that if you don't have the, the volume, then the fees generally tend to be pretty high. Um, yeah. So that can be a problem. And then, but I mean, I'm happy that there's a vegan ETF. And then also there may not be that many companies in there, which can also be problematic because then you don't want to just mm, put a hundred diversity. Yeah. You don't want to put a hundred percent of your money into 12 companies, you know? Um, but that being said, there are a bunch of new avenues. So there's a bunch of really exciting things that have happened. Uh, a bunch of IPOs, like when Beyond Meat launched and it just rocketed mm. off and caught the entire world's attention. And that kind of set the stage for other plant-based companies to go public and or to grow um, because they've got that the investor's attention, whether those investors are vegan or not. And that brings me around to Oatly, which is going to be IPOing this year, uh, yes. probably within the next few months. Now, I'm not saying, obviously, we're not uh, accountants or certified financial specialists. We should have said this earlier. <laughs> yeah, we should have said that earlier. So we cannot give any personal advice to anyone. We're just talking about our own experiences. Um, I definitely recommend that, you know, if you if you are planning on seriously investing for your retirement, you go see a fee-only financial planner and talk to someone you trust or just do your research. There's a lot of information out there. Check out Investopedia is a really great website to educate yourself. Mm. Um, and I think that's, it's super important that if you're going to invest in something, don't do it just because Tom and Phil said it was cool. Like you need to invest in something only because you understand it and you can make the decision having a full understanding of, of what it is that you're, what it, what it is that you're buying. Like you shouldn't be buying, um, an ETF if you don't know what an ETF is. So just, I know it sucks to do the groundwork and all the reading and, whatever, but you can digest that in YouTube form if you prefer. And, uh, it's a, it's a journey too. Like you don't have to learn everything in one weekend, you know? No. Otherwise you can just pay for a financial advisor. Right. Okay. If you don't have the time and they'll do it all for you, assuming they give good advice. Yeah. And, um, so Oatly is coming, is IPOing, which is exciting, but then it, it brings around this whole problem of, well, what if you wanted to invest in Oatly before? Like like sometimes mm. I'm at the grocery store and I'm buying, like there's a really great oat milk brand that I like, but I can't invest in it because they're not a public company, um, which really sucks. Mm. So there's a, actually an example of what happened with a private company that went public called Very Good Butchers. And they're a total plant-based butcher shop, I guess. They make really great, burgers and sausages and bacon and roasts and stuff. And they actually started right here in BC. Yeah, they started in Victoria. I yeah, think. in Victoria. Yeah, I, awesome. I, I actually live on Vancouver Island, so they're just oh, awesome. three hours south of me. And um, what they did was there's this company called Front Funder, and there's an international equivalent called Investor with a D, Investor. 
And those are basically companies that facilitate purchasing private equity in a company. So, and they do that for small time investors, like retail investors like you and me. Um, Have you heard of Beyond Animal? No, what's that? I'm new to them as well. Um, I had some friends over at Vegan FTA who run this huge Facebook page, they're on it. And you can actually go there to become an investor for retail traders such as us. So oh. have you heard of ProVeg? Uh, the company? Yeah. So ProVeg, they have like a hundred, they have so many different uh, branches of who and what they do, but essentially they facilitate um, and promo small up and coming businesses. So you'll go through their incubator program, for example, is you have an idea um, for this new meat made of like mycelium mushrooms or whatever, and you go to them and you're like, I've got this plan, this is my business plan, and they say, hmm, I think you're actually onto something, and they'll, they have their own team of developers that will kind of sit with you through that, and if you make it through the program, they'll give you 10,000 euros. Wow, that's cool. And then, yeah, that I'm sure a bunch of Canadian companies have gone through it. There's a few ones in Australia that have gone through it. Um, huge, huge companies, and they even offer like an angel investing service, which is like we're talking half a mil or more, right? Um, which is where you'll kind of get like the Oatly. They got like a half a million euro investment uh, last year or two years ago. But essentially- And they got the Oprah, uh, Pro- Oprah money. Yeah, they got the Oprah money now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but beyond Animal, um, I- I'm just new to that. And I haven't invested using the program, but you can make an account for free and you have like vegan jobs you can find on here. You have um, you can register as an event star. So, so you can, can you, say, oh, you can you can decide to fund some of these initiatives as totally like a cooperative that becomes the angel investor. Is mm-hmm. that what you're saying? That's it. So say you've got um, it, you could be on either end, either as an investor or someone with a small business idea. So you put your listing up on here, um, and essentially a bunch of investors go through it. And you're like, oh wow, I really want to put five k or one k or whatever the figure is behind right. this company. This gives you the platform to be able to do that. Perfect. Um, I found another really good way to do it is actually through their websites directly. Um, a really good example is uh, we've got this vegan cheese company uh, based in Melbourne, Australia, and they're called Hello Friend. And they did so well, they couldn't uh, keep up with the demand. So they ended up doing this um, almost like a GoFundMe campaign directly through their website. And whatever you funded, that was your portion of the company. So you can also go directly to the company, which is cheaper for them um, because they don't need to pay any fees to the stock uh, securities exchange. Right. Um, but they can give, so the, which means you get more returns. So I think there's so many different ways to go about it. But um, circling back to Oatly, um, where, where are they going live? What securities exchange? Is that one in Europe or is it going to be in the US? No, they're, you know? they're going to be listed on the New York Stock Exchange and should be in the next few months. Um, and I think they just did, they probably decided to go US just to get market. Um, yeah, more market, market exposure. Cap. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but anyway, Very Good Butchers went public uh, this last year. And, but before that, years before, um, they actually went on Front Funder, which is very similar to what you were talking about with uh, the Beyond Animal and being able to go on yeah. and fund these companies. It's basically the exact same thing, but a Canadian version of that. And so you you could go on and you could buy a piece, an ownership in Very Good Butchers as a small local company. And then later on when it went public, you were able to benefit from the fact that you were in early. Now, obviously, 
that involves more risk. If you're going to buy a company that's uh, small and that's beginning, it's way more risky than buying a fully established company. But I think for young people like me or especially vegans that want to invest in stuff they believe in um, or even anybody, um, it's a really good option that we have now that didn't exist before. You used to have to be incredibly wealthy. In Canada and the United States, you have to be called an accredited investor. And there's a bunch of Mm -hmm. prerequisites for that. Like you have to make like over $250,000 a year, I think. And you have to have a certain amount of money. And basically it's, it's, it's basically a certificate saying that you're rich and that, (laughs) and then you can invest like a, a bunch of money in, in companies. And so this is a way that a company can do a fund raise and sell shares of the company as a private entity. Um, but to do it to many, many people where you can invest like 250 bucks or a thousand dollars or whatever. So, so far I've had a really good experience with that and I'm definitely keeping it a smaller portion of my total portfolio. But, um, I got to say the thing I like the most about it is when you become an owner of a small local company, you start getting invited to, you know, annual shareholders meetings and you get like the company internal email explaining what's going on in the company and you can actually give feedback. And that experience has been really cool. Like I invested in a awesome a local uh, clothing company and a distillery that also brews beer. And uh, it's just been really cool being involved from the inside and being able to give feedback and being involved in, you know, the growth of the company, even though I'm not actually working there. Um, mm. And I, I found that to be a really cool, engaging process. Plus, I really believe in them more now because I can see how it's working from the inside out. And if they ever do make it super big, then I'll have benefited from it. And if they just kind of cruise along and do an okay job, then I still had the experience and I'm still investing in a way that, you know, aligns with my ethics and values, you know? For sure. You would have worked out, you know, this is, this is my goal. So with that, I want to put say 1% or 5 or 10%, whatever it may be as like fun money. And that's kind of the money that, you know, makes you feel good and makes you excited about investment and, you know, doing something good with your dollars. At the end of the day, when we're talking ETFs, which is what we started this on, it's right. not very sexy. It's, it's not. It's quite boring. <laughs> and that's what it's meant to be to give you good returns. But if you look at that 1%, you know, people, Bitcoin, it's all the right, Dogecoin, Ethereum, all that kind of stuff. You put 1% in there and that's your fun money. That's getting, yeah. that's getting you excited, start uh, saving and things like that. I, I love that and I'm totally with you and I'm glad you're doing that because it's like this nice way that you can make – it's sustainable investment in another way because then you're excited and you want to save more so you can invest more. That benefits you. That benefits the small uh, company doing amazing things and that benefits the economy. Like that is awesome. Yeah, I think that's the the main takeaway is that even with those, even with my coworkers that bought GameStop, the more important thing is they're excited to save their money now and to keep the ball rolling <laughs> yes. and to to get involved in other stuff and learn about things and and that's awesome. Um, so yeah, I uh, I definitely recommend, like you said, keeping it to a smaller portion of your portfolio. Again, not financial advice, but. Um, it is important to have that boring component and to make sure that most of your stuff is boring. Um, and then in my own fund money, I actually have been searching out other companies that are, are publicly traded 
that align with my values. So for example, there's a plant-based packaging company in Canada um, and they make basically bioplastics and, or like, um, awesome. they're, they're making like food containers and stuff like that, that replace the traditional plastic versions of those with like fully compostable ones. And there's another company that makes a fully compostable K cup for curried coffee, coffee machines. Um, oh, okay. Yep. So, I mean, that's kind of a weird niche thing, but like you said, if you're it's taking, needed. you know, 1% or point whatever fraction of a percent of your portfolio, it's just a way for me to um, increase the diversification of my portfolio, but in a way that aligns with my values and supports these companies that are doing the good things that I want to see. And that's, you really have to vote with your wallet, just the same way that we go to the grocery store and vote with her wallet. We have to do it in our retirement funds. And I think even the retirement fund might be even more impactful than the voting we're doing at the grocery store. Oh, for sure. And I do want to touch on retirement funds because I think that's incredibly important. But um, what I find really fascinating um, that I didn't really learn in terms of investing with like ethical and sustainable companies, I was having a chat with my mate at the time. He was with ProVeg Incubator in Germany. And now he started his own mycelium um, beef company, so beef made out of mushrooms. And he was saying during like their studies, so he helped fund these small businesses that were coming up and he analyzed their business um, plan and seen how he could make that better. And what he said and what he thought was, okay, at the moment when we're looking at Germany, UK, these top um, plant-based vegan countries or are leading that way, we're looking at a generally 5% market cap. And he's like, at the moment, if we go the way that we're going by 2030, it's going to be about a 70% market cap Wow! on plant-based products. So going back to our question, Phil, are you going to in- invest with Oatly or what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am. I, I, I've never actually even drank Oatly ever. I've never, had, I've never had access to it. It's not at my grocery store, um, but everybody says it's really good and I love oat milk. But like I said, it's it sucks because the oat milk that I drink is a privately held company that I can't invest in, which kills me. So uh, I'm yep. hoping that I'm hoping that I can buy up some pieces of Oatly, and then maybe it'll maybe what I can do then because when you own a company, you want to be its ambassador and you want to champion it. And so then yep. I can go to my grocery store manager and say, "Hey, where's the Oatly? When are you going to get the Oatly?" So. Oh, for sure. I love asking those questions. I think if you do that, you'll be doing everyone a favor. Firstly, because oat milk has a 25% less environmental footprint than soy milk, which is insane. And soy milk has a 240% less environmental footprint than dairy milk. So when we're looking at saying that, that's awesome. I love going to my local cafe and just saying, hey, by the way, you guys are still using plastic straws. What's going on? (laughs) Having those conversations is incredibly impactful because for them as a business i will always go to a cafe that has paper not that i use straws but if i can see they're using paper straws i'm coming back there for sure right right it is a silly move to be using plastic unless we're looking at those companies that what you were talking about before when they make the plastics out of like the corn and the pineapple and and wheat and things like that Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and hopefully this year in canada there's a motion in government right now to ban single-use plastics Oh yes, so that's please what do we're it. Hoping, yeah, we're waiting for it. So, and then Justin Trudeau, Trudeau, come <laughs> on, bring it in. Jeez. Uh, so 
Yeah, I mean, he legalized weed, so that was his his hallmark. I think that's that's going to be his legacy. Um, yeah, I love that. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm I'm really hoping for that single plastics ban, both because it's something that I think is you know incredibly important, and also because I, you know, full disclosure, I own company, I own shares in a company that would benefit economically from a single plastics ban. So. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely going to buy Oatly. I'm going to try to get some and I'm going to keep looking out for, I'm, I'm actually, uh, how do I say this? I'm, I'm nerding out on a lot of this stuff. So even like the, um, flaxseed meal that I buy, I was like, I was, I was having breakfast one day. I have flaxseed meal every day and this one particular brand I always buy. And then I was like, who are these guys? And I started looking them up and I'm like, can I buy this like shares in this company? Because that's what I, you know, this product is great. So I want to own part of it. Um, and that's where my mind is at now where I'm thinking like, I want to support the stuff that I believe in and I can support it not just by buying it, but then also benefit from being involved in owning a piece of it too. And then championing it. But unfortunately they're a private company, so I can't buy that either, but I'm going to keep looking for, uh, for opportunities. And I think, you know, all those, all those companies like beyond animal and front funder investor and all the ones that are to come in the future are really going to help, you know, the average Joe be able to buy a piece of, uh, of a super big corporation. That's a private company. You know? Yeah. I mean, what the best thing and the worst thing is about all that, like what you said about, um, you know, full disclosure, I invest in this company, so obviously I want that. Imagine getting to a point where because, you know, your your heart and your ethics is very aligned to, like, your wallet and your investments, eventually, like, oh, have you tried, like, this brand? Oh, full disclosure, I invest in every <laughs> single brand you love. You have that emotional connection. Um, but at the same time, we're not saying that with ETFs. Like, with the big Australian ETFs, what you own, like these big fuel companies and you own um, all these different things. It's still like, you're not saying, oh yeah, I go here for fuel or full disclosure. I have 0.2% of my portfolio there. So I think it's important to say, but also if you love a product, like uh, is this bad advice, but who cares? Yeah, for sure. We're always going to champion stuff. Uh, Earlier you mentioned uh, Bitcoin and all that stuff. And um, I should probably tell you that I do mine vertcoin uh i'm not i'm not super into crypto or whatever but i heard about them and i thought the their case was compelling enough that i was like yeah that's like it's not a vegan coin but it's like the people's coin where they want to keep it so that they want to make sure that vertcoin will always be mineable by the average person no matter what like computer equipment you have that's cool um and so they're like super ASIC resistant. They don't want to ever be mined by ASICs, which are anybody that doesn't know what an yeah. ASIC is. It's a it's basically a a box. It's a computer that's designed specifically to mine a specific coin. That's all it does. You plug it in, you set it up, and it just mines Bitcoin. Um, whereas when you want to mine other stuff like Vertcoin, for example, you can just use your computer's graphics card. And the reason why you can't do that for Bitcoin anymore is because your computer graphics card will never have enough power to be able to even get in on the game anymore. So, uh, so I've been mining Vertcoin for a while, kind of as a hobby, both to like learn. Is it hard? Like, was it easy to start? No, it's, it's so easy. When I started, they didn't have this, but they actually developed 
Um, everything is uh, funded from the community. So people just donate to the developers and then we try to fund Love milestones that. and then they, they'll work on another section of the project and work on another section. So um, they, uh, they created a one-click miner. So they wanted to make it as easy as possible. So you literally just download the thing. You just double-click it. It just opens and starts mining. And that's it. Like there's literally nothing else to do. It's the easiest thing that could possibly exist. But um, I was doing it. Have to, you explained mining on this podcast before? No, I've I, I've never talked about it. Can you it. please? Because uh, I don't know mining. So can you do us all a favor? Yeah. Um. So I'm not an expert, but basically the way that crypto mining works, everyone like everybody's heard words like the blockchain and crypto and mining and stuff. Um and you know a crypto coin but basically what it is is uh there's when you have a bank and you have your debit card or whatever and you're out there or your visa card or whatever and you're buying things you go to the retailer and then the retailer's equipment checks with that single point it like contacts visa and says hey this guy wants to spend 50 bucks. Does he have 50 bucks? Okay, cool. I'm going to do this transaction. And they're verifying that transaction at a single point, basically. Um, and then with the blockchain, what actually happens is I, all the people that are mining are the bank, basically. And so, but those points are thousands of points. So now you have where I'm going to go spend some, I want to send some Bitcoin to someone, let's say. So I want to send Bitcoin to Tom. And I'm saying, okay, I'm sending Bitcoin to Tom. Now, now Tom's account is, is receiving that coin. And then literally dozens of other uh, miners around us are saying, okay, we saw that Phil sent that coin to Tom and we're verifying, we're validating that. Like we, we all see, we have all seen it. Everybody gives a thumbs up. And after it's been confirmed by an, a certain number, like for Vertcoin, for example, it's 600. So you have to get confirmed 600 times by other people that are mining and then that transaction becomes true. So everybody is, it's like a decentralized version, uh, a decentralized way of validating transactions. And that means that there is no single point. So it means that it can't be regulated by an entity. Like, you know, United States government can't start regulating Bitcoin transactions because they're completely decentralized like they're being verified independently by the community or well by the miners you don't have to mine in order to spend or uh, receive bitcoin but what happens is all the people that are using their computers to validate all these transactions are also receiving a tiny portion of that transaction as a fee so basically the fee the fee for your transaction is being outsourced as being sent to all these people that are actually doing the mining and the validating. And um, when, a, when a cryptocurrency is first getting started and as it keeps going, not only, are the, not only are the miners validating transactions, that's part of the process, but they're also solving a more and more complex mathematical problem. And so the difficulty, if you hear about people talk about like the difficulties being raised or whatever. It means that at the very beginning, the difficulty is quite low. So if you were mining Bitcoin way back in the day, you could probably have done it on, you know, your regular computer or with, you know, prosumer hardware or whatever. 
and you would be getting a bunch of bitcoins. Like everybody's heard the story of somebody buying a pizza for like 5,000 bitcoins way back in the day. And that was like the first big, one of the first big Bitcoin transactions because they didn't really mean anything. They were like these imaginary digital currency that didn't, yeah. it only had value for what people would value it for, right? Um, and it wasn't uncommon for people to have a lot of coins because it was really easy to mine them. Mining being having your computer solve the, you know, more and more advanced equations. And nowadays, if you try to mine Bitcoin, your computer wouldn't even be able to do it because the difficulty is so high. And basically, the first computer group that solves it gets the payout. And so now, now what we do is we don't have individual computers mining coins. We have pools. And so there will be a huge pool, and then it will be you know hundreds or thousands of computers or uh, machines, and they'll all be working together to solve the equation. And once they get the equation solved, they get the payout, as well as validating transactions. So... That's pretty much it. I uh, I don't know if that's confusing now or, but that makes sense. So, could you just leave your computer on overnight mining? That's that what. Thing? That, yeah, that's what I do. I just I just leave it on all the time. I've got two graphics cards, and I just let them mine Vertcoin all the time. And I've been doing it for about a year, and I've got about five hundred and fifty coins now. Um, what's that? Is that the value of it? Or is that the amount of coins? No, uh, that's the, actually recently it's been quite exciting. So the values kind of hovered around 50 cents us for a while. Um, Mm -hmm. but just recently this past week, it's just started going like crazy. So it got all the way up to like two fifty or something. Um, and it's been no, 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 $2.50. I would have sold it if it was 250 bucks us per coin. I would have sold them. I, in my mind, I kind of have some numbers. So like I was thinking to myself, okay, I'm just going to keep mining until I get 500 coins and then maybe I'll mine like a different coin or something. And if I just mine enough random coins and maybe one day I'll, I'll have like the next doge coin and then I can just cash out whenever it spikes, you know, but that didn't really happen. I just ended up keep, I just kept mining vert coin uh, because I got involved in the community and, you know, they have like a discord and a Reddit and they have a podcast and I kind of got sucked into this community of Vertcoin miners, uh, who That's actually, awesome. yeah. And they really believe in the coin itself, you know? So I'm just going to hold them and I don't know, maybe I'll, I'll be, I'm definitely gonna be tempted if it gets up to like five bucks or something, I might you know, I mean, that's like 2,500 bucks or it might be like 3000 bucks by then. So I just, it's, it's this weird game you play where just like, even when you're investing in like highly volatile, you know, individual companies, you got to say to yourself, okay, like obviously I want to cash out and collect gains, but then there's this greedy voice inside of your head saying, well, what if it goes even higher or like, maybe I should just wait it out. And then you never know when it's just going to crash again or whatever. So it's a, it's a weird game and it's it's also kind of, you know, it's kind of exciting. It's it spices mm-hmm. up my morning coffee when I'm looking at the numbers and I'm I wake up and check out what's going on with the with the price of vertcoin or whatever, but yeah, I don't know. I've eventually I'm going to sell it, but I just don't know when that point will be. I love be. that. 
Yeah. Well, it doesn't really matter because I'm sure you can alleviate a lot of the pressure of, oh, what if I hold it or what if blah, 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 because it's your fun money. It's okay. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, I, I didn't even spend any money on it. I mean, I, I calculated the cost of electricity, but it's, it's quite minimal. I'm, I'm lucky that in Canada, the cost of electricity is quite low. Um, and then the other day, it is problematic though, because the other day I heard someone talking about how crypto is actually a huge environmental issue. So with all this, how's that? Well, because when you look at, um, Bitcoin, for example, even just one coin, well, the biggest coin, Bitcoin, um, it uses so much electricity, like an unimaginable amount of electricity to be doing all this computing power. So we're talking massive Mm. amounts of computing and that electricity isn't being used. You could argue it's not really being used in a productive way. Like it's not actually manufacturing anything or keeping the lights on in someone's house or whatever. It's doing mathematical equations and verifying uh, transactions, which is important, but it's also kind of this, um, you know, this virtual currency that may or may not even really have value. It depends on, what people put their value into it, but it's still this weird concept that, you know, there's this virtual currency and yet it takes so much energy, just raw electrical power to be processing all of this. And, you know, I, I don't remember the quote, but I, I remember reading somewhere that it was like, you know, all the Bitcoin processing in a year or whatever is more than, like, uh, you know, I don't remember what country it was, but like more than several countries worth of power or something. And wow. Okay. And it becomes more problem. Obviously, like some countries are super tiny and it's all relative. But when you think about how there was a huge amount of Bitcoin being mined in China and China has a lot of coal powered energy uh, plants. Right. Mm. So if you're, you know, if you're mining Bitcoin with solar panels and stuff, that's great. But if you're mining Bitcoin with coal power or even natural gas power plants and stuff like that, then it can become problematic when you say to yourself, well, you know, should I be using this electricity or not for this purpose? So. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I never thought of it, but um, yeah, I'd be curious to know what those smaller countries are. If it's like Monaco or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll, uh, I'll 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 post it on the Instagram or something or whatever once yeah, I look it up. Yeah, shoot me a message. That that would be yeah. really interesting because you don't think of it because it's you know it's all electronic and you're like how much power does it take? Like I've got like the new Mac in front of me. Like that's okay. It's just a laptop, whatever. Like but you don't think about the absolute. It's not just a MacBook that can mine Bitcoin. It's these huge computers with servers and insane power. Yeah, and the problem also is that um, they have a life cycle. So. As the coin gets more and more complicated, you know, these older ASICs, which are machines that were designed specifically to do that one thing, suddenly become obsolete over time. And so you're using all these resources to build these machines that then become electronic waste. You know, Mm. so and we all know that there's a huge electronic waste and just waste in general problem in the world. So that can also be. But then that's why I like Vertcoin, because I got these old graphics cards and I'm not going to, you know, when I upgrade my graphics card, I'm just going to keep these old graphics card because I can just keep using them for something productive instead of just turning them into garbage, you know? Yeah. Well, hopefully it turns out like that unless for, you know, well, good, good for you if it does, but if it takes off and then no, those graphic cards are no longer valuable. And if all of crypto's 
bar is raised, then none of those old graphic cards valuable, then they need to be recycled and reused and hopefully maybe used for other things. But yeah, I'd be curious to know um, how that will evolve over time. Yep. We'll see. But then I also like the idea of, you know, being able to send money internationally securely without any fees and stuff. And a lot of people make arguments about, well, you know, the criminals can launder their money through there and whatever. But I think there's a greater need for banking worldwide, especially in underserviced communities, especially, you know, third world Mm -hmm. countries where, you know, the banking systems aren't necessarily super stable, um, where individual countries' currencies aren't necessarily super stable. I don't want to, you know, name any names or point any fingers, but there's, you know, we've all heard in the news of a couple places where the currency became unstable because of what was happening in the government or whatever. And then um, all of a sudden, you know, your bank account doesn't mean anything or you have crazy inflationary rates and stuff. So in smaller areas where people, you know, either don't have a stable currency or don't have, aren't properly served by banking, we've seen a big uh, rise in uh, digital transactions. So a lot of people are actually using uh, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin for their day-to-day stuff. And uh, I think the best best example of that was um, in China with WeChat. So WeChat is like an app mm, that they have yeah. and they can do the QR code scanning and do transactions uh, with their phones. And that's like really, really cool. And especially in developing countries where now we have all the cellular mobile phone technology. And so it's far more common in developing countries for everybody to have cell phones, but not even have landlines because what's the point of putting in all this landline infrastructure if everyone can just get a cell phone Um, and you can actually reach more people with less resources um, and get people, you know, hooked up uh, to the internet, which I think the internet itself is a huge, um, hugely important for the development of, of anybody, especially kids that need to, get educated right so yeah i 100 percent agree it's almost coming to the point where i mean i don't know if this is sad or good but it's almost a human right to have internet just purely for the information exchange like you don't you don't like i'm sure tribes in like papua new guinea and certain parts of africa and south america are so happy and content with not having anything um but the concept of knowledge is power can can almost become like a human right and uh, I think that's an interesting thought experiment and to see how that pans out too. Actually, um, that reminds me of, because of COVID, there's been so many kids that actually were trying to learn from home and doing home uh, tele- teleschool or whatever. And yeah. a lot of places in Northern Canada, for example, don't have proper internet coverage where like, you literally cannot watch a YouTube mm. video. The internet is way too slow. And there's just nobody going up there to develop that infrastructure. So now it's been really exciting because Elon Musk and uh, SpaceX, they started that Starlink internet and they started rolling it out. So they have like the early access versions of that. And people in Canada and United States are actually able to get Starlink antenna dishes now and get internet, like broadband internet where they were never, ever able to access that before. Um, which is super exciting, but then at the same time, it's annoying because, uh, SpaceX is not a public company and you can't buy shares in SpaceX. So I'm like, 
When, yep. <laughs> come on, Elon, stop holding out on us. Like you gave I us know, Tesla. Just stick to Tesla for now. But yeah. So anyway, uh, so that was a lot. And I know we got sidetracked at the end with uh, crypto and internet and all that stuff. But um, I think that's really great. Um, and I was, I had a really great time learning about Australian investing, especially superannuation. Um, if you're kind of an investing geek or whatever in Canada or the U.S., you should check out Australia. Just go to the superannuation website, uh, government website, because they explain it pretty good. And it's kind of an interesting, yeah. it's a really interesting idea. I really like it. For sure. Absolutely. And, you know, if, if an Aussies are listening to this, I think on the topic of super, and look, I would, I would extend that to the Canadian and the U.S. and whoever, is I think your retirement fund is so important. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm just speaking with Australia because I know the facts here. Our superannuation in our nation is the third biggest pension pool in the world. And why that is so important is because chances are your retirement fund is helping fund cruel and inhumane practices every day, fuel, animal abuse, all these things. And I, now I'd be curious to know what you think, but we've got different options here with our super funds that you can choose one that doesn't invest, much like an ETF that doesn't invest in any fossil fuels or things like that. We've even got one that's fully vegan. Nice. Oh, um, nice. I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> yeah, I think they're based in Melbourne or Sydney. They're a smaller one. I think they only have a, a few tens of thousands of people on it, um, but they are fully, fully vegan, no animal uh, use at all. Do you guys have different funds like that as well? You can just, you can hold whatever you want. Uh, you can... In your RSP or TFSA account, you can just hold whatever ETF, index fund, or individual stocks that you want. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. But um, but like you said, it's super important that with all these people, with their ability to choose ESG funds, or even, even just at the very minimum, a fossil fuel-free fund, um, it's given rise to investor sentiment that, okay, like green energy and everything is attractive, and that's what people want. And I've actually seen, uh, well, the Canadian pension fund is, you know, our mandatory uh, contributions from our paycheck that go into our, uh, you know, government run uh, retirement fund. We have no choice what is in that fund. It's just a fund run for us by the government. And when they give us money, when we retire, um, but even them, they have started looking at, oh, well, it seems like the public sentiment is swaying this way. So we're going to start looking at, you know, changing the way that we invest. And now that these super huge pension funds, which are wildly more influential, influential than individual retail investors are starting to look in that way. Um, you can really see things start changing, which is a really huge deal. So I think at the very at the very least, it's really easy to find a fossil fuel free index ETF, um, mm. and people could start there if they want to start with something really easy, and then they could even get into more niche funds later on. Like I, I hold a uh, renewable energy uh, index just because I wanted to make sure that I had more exposure in renewables, and uh, yeah. But as always, talk with a financial planner and figure out what's right yep. for you. <laughs> Of course. Got to add that in, mate. Oh, uh, I meant to say this earlier, but I have a super lame joke for you. What do you... Uh, ah, please. <laughs> uh, what do you call an Australian vegan? 
um, I don't know. A Vegemite. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Vegemite. I was worried that I you hope would, people got that. I was worried that you had heard yeah. of that before, um, but you, I can tell you haven't, so that makes me happy. No, that's good. I, I, it's a play on Vegemite, I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming. I don't even really know what Vegemite is, but I know it's some kind of fermented thing, and I know that it's vegan and kosher, and it's like it a, it's a spread, right? It's like, yeah, it's like a spread that looks like tar, um, <laughs> and it, it tastes much like tar. <laughs> oh, is it salty? It's 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 very straight, very salty. Yeah, it's got a. It's actually really good for vegans. Uh, everyone actually, I should I should extend that to the whole population. It's got heaps of B vitamins in there, uh, including B twelve. Okay, what about iron? But yeah, uh, look, I have no idea. They okay. advertise B vitamins. Uh, I'm sure it has a lot, but yeah. you, you can't have much. You, you really can't. Some people, some people, I've seen people eat it by the spoonful, um, but. <laughs> For those who have tried Vegemite, the thought of that might make you gag a little bit. Okay. <laughs> um, it's a very unique taste. So if you're ever down under, um, hit me up and I will show you the life, the way of the Vegemite. Yeah, I don't know when, but definitely when I retire. Like I didn't touch on this, but my plan is to save up, buy a sailboat and just keep sailing and never stop. And uh, I love that. Definitely hit Australia, New Zealand. Um, actually next week I'm interviewing, um, a lady from New Zealand who has a podcast and I'm going to be asking her what she thinks about Aussies. Um, she'll only have nice things to say. <laughs> Excellent. And then, uh, yeah, good. So, uh, do you have a, do you have a song pick for today? I do. Um, I, I feel I'm tossing up between two depending on the high or low vibe, but just to keep it on the high vibe because as we're having this conversation, um, I'm looking out on the balcony uh, where I'm at and it is an incredibly beautiful sunny day and with barely maybe a few clouds. So the song I'm choosing is Sincerity is Scary by the 1975. Okay. I'm going to check that out right afterwards. I should I should mention for everybody listening that it's it's kind of an interesting dynamic that it's 5 p.m. where I am and it's about 10 a.m. Yeah, 10. For you. I love that. Time zones are so weird. Yeah, and it's tomorrow for you. Yeah, it's Sunday, yeah. Uh, which is... The future's pretty good, man. So you survive the night. It's okay. <laughs> I know, but it's mind-blowing because uh, I don't know how old you are, but I'm 36 and... I remember as a kid when the internet happened, like it's, you know, we started getting access to the internet and stuff. And now here I am and you can have, I mean, I know telecommunications existed before, but the idea of being able to hold a conversation with someone on the other side of the world like this just is still like when you really think about it, it's still really kind of mind blowing. I know, I know. I mean, I'm 25, so I I don't know life post-internet. However, I know life post-social media and before Instagram and the rise of dial-up is where, where I started, dial-up internet. Yeah, um, I had dial-up, yeah. You, absolutely, and you could barely run like Farmville, that game on Facebook. Yeah, I had, I used uh, SimFarm before the internet came out. There was uh, like, I don't even know what that is. Well, you know who, uh, like SimCity? It was like the same. Yes. Uh, it was like the same developer, but there was this game on my very first computer. There was a game called Sim Farm, 
And, uh, you know, you basically, it was just like an agricultural simulator, but the most exciting part of the game was you could, uh, you could get a crop duster plane and you could fly this dinky little, it was, you know, straight up 2d, really cheap graphics, I love that. but the game, yes. like the, you could fly this plane around and it was the most exciting part of sim farm. But anyway, it was great back in a simpler, uh. a simpler time. I hope some people can relate to your one. I definitely can't. I can't imagine that. But <laughs> oh, to be young. Um, so my song pick of the day is, it's called Black Divinity. And it's by Zithu Mashika and Shabzi Medallion. It's a song I heard at the end of um, a comedy special. I don't remember who it was, but it like, kind of got its hooks in me. Um, you know, like when you hear a song and then it, it really, uh, it just gets stuck in your head and then you listen to it like five times in a row and then you have to put oh, it, you have to put it absolutely. away. But yeah. Uh, and then because you're scared of ruining the song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, um, I'll put that on the party pooper playlist as well and that's it. So I really enjoyed having you, Tom. And for anyone that, uh, if you forgot the name of Tom's podcast is the plant paradigm. So go check that out. And uh, yes. thanks, thanks so much for coming and chatting with me about finance. And r- remember, everyone, that the most important thing is just save your money. Don't overcomplicate things and, you know, choose with your heart. I love that. Thank you so much for having me, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. Like I said, I talk a lot about climate change and health and nutrition, so I don't get to dig my paws into a lot of talk on finance. So it's been an absolute treat to um, learn a bit more about mining and all the things going up on your end of the world. Uh, So thank you for the opportunity, mate. I really appreciate it. No problem. Have an excellent Sunday and I will talk to you soon. Thanks, mate.